Well, good morning. Welcome to Christian Fellowship Free Church. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us, you're a guest. Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at CF. Well, we are going to be in the book of Ruth. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth. It's one of the smaller books in the front of the Bible. You're looking for Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth is stuck right in there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. That is our gift to you. We love giving Bibles away. Um, and if you are using the seat back Bible, I believe you're looking for page 222, I believe is where you're going to find Ruth, 222. Uh, so as you guys are turning there, I'd like to thank someone who doesn't get nearly enough thanks in this church. She um, is constantly running around, constantly doing stuff behind the scenes, stuff that you guys don't see to make not only Sundays happen, but ministries happen. Um, uh, Amy Jacqueline does so much for this church, constantly organizing things. The, the chili cook-off we're going to have this afternoon, um, that's Amy doing stuff. Um, she's always running around. She's always making things work, keeping things organized, keeping things, keeping me organized. Uh, she does so much here. And actually, starting this week, she's going to be taking on more responsibility in the church. Um, so, Amy, thank you. She can't even hear this because she's in another room serving. Uh, so, Amy, thank you very much for everything you do. Um, all right. So, uh, if you haven't been with us, we are in the book of Ruth. Um, and I want to recap real quick where we're at in the book of Ruth. So, uh, you only missed one week. If you haven't if you haven't checked it out, you can go on the, uh, online to churchinroscovillage.org or you can find us on iTunes and catch up on sermons. So, anyway, uh, the book of Ruth starts with a famine. There's a famine in the land of God, in the land of Judah. And we are introduced to a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Now, Elimelech and Naomi take their two sons and they leave to Moab to avoid the famine. Uh, Moab are the bitter rivals of God's people. They are constantly at war. They, are, they have oppressed God's people. Um, they are idol worshipers. Really just not the kind of place you want to be. But Elimelech and his wife and kids go to Moab to escape the famine. During this time, Elimelech dies. So now the sons are in charge of the family. And the sons decide, instead of going back to God's land, instead of going back to Judah, we're going to stay in Moab. And not only are we going to stay in Moab, but each of the sons marry a foreign woman. This is another big issue. This is God's law declares, do not intermarry with those from around you. And this isn't like a racism thing. This is a, their culture, their idol worship will influence you will hurt your relationship with me do not marry with inter uh with those from other parts of the land around us and but the boys do and so they each marry a woman and during that time as they are married neither of the women neither of the wives has a child and then the boys die about 10 years goes by and the two boys die so now we are left with we have naomi who is a widow and her two foreign daughter-in-laws orpah and ruth also widows Stuck in Moab. Now Naomi hears that the famine has broken in Judah and decides, I'm going to go back. And the two girls at first say they're going to go back as well. But then Naomi says, look, it is not going to be good for you if you go back with me. If you go back with me, nothing but pain will come your way. God's hand is against me, is what Naomi says. And so the two daughter-in-laws have a choice. Orpah, the first one, decides to stay in Moab, stay with her family, try and rebuild her life. Ruth decides to travel back with Naomi. Ruth has decided that not only is she going to stay with Naomi until they are both dead, more than that, she now follows the same God that Naomi follows. Ruth tells Naomi, your people are my people, your God, my God. And so the two walk back to Judah, walk back to the small town of Bethlehem where everybody knows everybody else's business. 
And at this time, it seems bleak for them. But in the midst of that, we see how God's sovereignty, how his control over all things was at work, orchestrating things, orchestrating situations to care for these women. And through his providence, through his grace, he is proving that he is working all things together for their good and his glory. And that's where we left chapter 1. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into chapter 2 this morning. Heavenly Father, Oh, God, thank you for another day, Lord. We come to you today, God, looking for a lot of things, looking for rest, looking for peace, looking for hope and grace. God, we're looking for stability, and we find it in you. The psalmist says that you will set our feet on a rock. You will make our steps secure. Nothing this world can offer can do that. Lord, we delight in you and in your will. Lord, we thank you that you do not restrain your mercy and your steadfast love and your faithfulness from us. You are our help and our deliverer. You are the one always at work in our lives. You are the one protecting and caring for us. So Lord, this morning, as we read through Ruth, as we read through this story of your protection, of your providence, Lord, I pray that as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather together among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So here in the beginning of chapter 2, we said last week that um, there are three main people in this story. We have Naomi, we have Ruth, who we met last week, and now we have Boaz. And so the author right at the top of chapter 2 gives us a brief introduction of Boaz, but there's no real details given, right? In verse 1 it says he's a relative of Elimelech and he is a worthy man. Now, the fact that he's a relative of Elimelech, that we'll get to a little bit later, but let's talk about him being a worthy man. This phrase is also translated other ways within Scripture. It's translated, he is a man of valor. He's a man of worth, integrity, substance. Boaz is a man of great power and means. He's a guy that you want to be around. He's a guy you want to know. Here's a man who didn't leave during the famine like Elimelech did. Elimelech tried to avoid things, and because of that, he died. But Boaz stayed, and because of that, he is succeeding. He is thriving. And so when we say he is a man of great worth, it's not just that he has money, but he is a good man. Verse 4 gives us a little bit of insight into the kind of person Boaz is, as he has this interaction with one of his reapers. And so through these first couple of verses, we know very little. We know he's a relative of Elimelech, and he is a worthy man, So this interaction in verse 4 
where it says, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. That's in here for a specific reason. It's here to give us a bit of insight into the kind of faith Boaz has. His relationship with God permeates all aspects of his life, including the way he interacts with those who work for him. And as we have seen in the way he interacts, we're going to see it in the way he interacts with Ruth in a minute. This is more than just kind pleasantries. This is who he is. Boaz's faith saturates every aspect of his life. It comes out in the details of how he talks to other people. So let me ask you this morning, when you are at work, at school, at the store, how do you communicate with people? How do you interact with those around you? How do you interact with those who might seem insignificant or someone you don't have any relationship with at the moment and won't have a relationship with in the future? Your barista giving you coffee. The person checking you out at the grocery store. Your Uber driver. If you're in school, those who are in the grades below you. That temp or new person at work, how do you interact with them? Because Boaz His faith permeates even into the way he talks to those who are beneath him, those who work for him. And so in these first couple of verses, we get this brief taste of who Boaz is, and we will see more as the story goes on. But we also see a little bit more of who Ruth is in these first couple of verses, don't we? Her character is more further revealed. We saw in chapter 1 her care and her love for Naomi. We talked about the word hesed. Loyal love, loving kindness, loyal loving kindness, mercy. Ruth was willing to leave her family, her life, everything behind in Moab to not only be with Naomi, but because of her faith in God. And now here in chapter 2, we see if some of Ruth's character put into action, because it's one thing to say, Naomi, I'm with you until you die. I will be here for you. I will take care of you. It's another to say, I'm actually going to do it. I'm actually going to put action to those words. See, Naomi is an elderly woman at this point. Ruth is still younger and decides to go to the fields to glean after the reapers. And it says not only does she go to work, not only does she take the initiative to go to work, but we read in verse 7, she's been working all day since early in the morning. The way it's translated is she has been on her feet since before the sun came up. And her work is noticed by the reapers, by those who are professional. They work in the fields professionally, and they saw her and the way she worked and said, wow. And so the reapers share this information with Boaz because Ruth took her oath to Naomi seriously. We said last week, chapter 1 ended and told us that it was the barley harvest. And in the law of God, um, God had put things into place to take care of the poor, to take care of the foreigner, which Ruth is both of. In Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip the vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God has put this law into place. And he does this for a couple of reasons. One, he's God. This is his creation. It's his land. It's his crops. It's his vineyard. It's his. He's in control. He can do with it as he pleases. 
But number two is also that he cares. You see, God is love. God is just. He is right. He is good. He is holy and perfect. And there are people in this world that get taken advantage of. People who are mistreated. People whose society decides, you are not worthy of our help or our care. And they cast them to the side. And so God set up laws and rules like this for the community, for his people to say, no, that is not the way this is going to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Do not treat people this way because people have value. In the Bible, it said, it's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. You, just by being a person, just by being human, you were created in the image and likeness of God. You have the Imago Dei in you. And so you have worth and value just because you were created by God. So we see Ruth wants to go and gather what she can what she can from the parts of the field that were not supposed to be harvested. She also wants to pick up the gleanings. That's the stuff that gets dropped, right? So you're pulling up the stalks of grain, you're cutting them and things get shaken off and fall to the ground. Those who were the reapers weren't allowed to pick those up. That's called the gleanings and that was left for the poor and the sojourners. And so Ruth says, "I'm going to go to the field belonging to him in whose sight I find favor." In, his, in whose sight I find grace, is that word favor. She realizes she is dependent on someone else showing her grace. And notice in verse 7, it's this humble mentality of relying on someone else's grace that drives Ruth. Because look at verse 7, she asked if she could reap there. She is humble in her position. Just because it's the law, just because she's allowed to do it, she doesn't see herself as entitled. She doesn't expect anything. She is relying on grace. Because though it was the law, it was still really up to the owner of the land and his discretion, right? How much he would leave for the poor and the sojourners. So really, Ruth is dependent on the goodwill of someone else. And we see in verse 3 that someone else is Boaz. Look at verse 3 again. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to come to the part of the field. Ruth wasn't planning on it. How could she? She didn't know who Boaz was. The hip-hop artist Lecrae has a line in one of his songs that says, I don't believe in luck. I believe in grace. This isn't a coincidence. It's not happenstance. It's not dumb, blind luck. This is the grace of God. This is divine, sovereign providence and intervention. This is God at work to redeem and restore Naomi and Ruth. This is God at work, not in some amazing miracle, right? It's not keeping the sun in the sky so the Israelites could do battle longer. It's not raining down fire on the altar. This is God working through Ruth's decision to go right instead of left, to stop here instead of there. This is God working in the small, minute details of Ruth's life. And that's how God works pretty often, isn't it? I mean, yes, sometimes God breaks in in the big, obvious, I am God kind of way, but he also and often, I think, works in the minutia of our decisions. God doesn't waste time. He doesn't 
waste opportunities. He is always at work, even when it doesn't seem like it, even when you think the situation is too small or too insignificant to matter, it matters to God because you matter to God. And so Ruth is at work, she's taking a little break, and Boaz sees her and says, who is she? And the reaper tells him, doesn't even tell her, tell him her name, just that she's the Moabite woman who came back from the town, to, came back to town with Naomi. Her reputation precedes her. She's the foreign widow who showed up with that other widow. And really, that should have been the end of it. That should be the end of the story. I mean, Boaz has allowed her to do as the law commanded, to, to pick from the harvest and to pick from the gleanings. She did that. The end. And I think if Boaz was any other person, that might have been the end. But as we saw earlier, Boaz is a man of valor, a man of honor, a man of integrity, a man who is guided by his faith. And so because of that, the way he sees Ruth, this widow from a hated people group, is not only different, it is life-changing for both Ruth and Naomi. Let's pick it up in verse 8. And Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men, young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Boaz is showing grace to Ruth. He tells her, don't leave. Stay in this field, stay in my field, and stay close to the women who work for me. Go where they go, glean and reap where they do. Which means he's giving her access not just to the harvest set aside for the poor and the sojourner, he's giving, him, giving her access to his own personal harvest. And he says, I want to be able to protect you. And I told the men, do not harass her, do not touch her, treat her with respect. And Ruth, if you need some water, you go ahead and drink. Now, this was not usually done for those who are not under the landowner's employ, right? This is not usually done for the, the people who came to basically just freeload. Boaz is showing her honor and respect and dignity. And it's obvious that these things are not the norm because look at Ruth's response in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Again, her humility shining through. She falls on her face. Why are you being so nice? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I'm the Moabite? I'm not part of your household. Why would you care? I'm a widow. Why would you go out of your way for me? That's the question that needs to be answered here, Boaz. Why? And so Boaz responds in verse 11. He tells her basically, look, I, I've heard what you have done for Naomi. How she, you had left everything to be with her and to follow God. And, and Ruth, that's impressive. That's amazing. 
And then in verse 12, he continues. And in verse 12, it's, it's basically Boaz praying for Ruth. He prays that the Lord repay her and reward her for what she has done. Now I want to stop for a second right here because it could be easy to read that verse and understand it and focus on repaying and rewarding and think, well, Ruth did good things for Naomi and so God should repay and reward Ruth because of that, right? Ruth has earned something. God is the boss, Ruth the employee. She did her job and so God will repay her for it. And then really we can even take that line of thinking and walk that out a little farther and say, well, if I do good things... God will give me good things. If I'm nice, God will be nice to me. If I'm thoughtful and help people, God will reward me with stuff. But I'm here to tell you guys, that's not what this verse is saying. And that's not what the Bible is saying. God is not a slot machine. You don't put things in and get a return. And we see this on a regular basis. I hope you understand that that's not how things work because you can see there's still evil in this world. There's still hate and pain. There's still the question of why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? There's still evil and sin in this world. And really, even if you just look at Jesus, right? Just look at Jesus, God's son, perfection come to earth, God in the flesh, He loves and he teaches and he heals. He does these amazing miracles. He feeds people. All of these great things. And what did it get him? He is abandoned, betrayed, beaten, and executed. When Boaz prays these words over Ruth, really what he's doing here is he's praying that God would see the pain, see the sacrifice that Ruth has made, and bless her. Because the sacrifice and the life that she is living is grounded in a specific reality. Boaz's prayer, his asking for God to bless her, is grounded in this reality in the second half of verse 12 when he says, The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's imagery that is throughout the Old Testament, right? We see it in the Psalms a lot. In Psalm 36, 7, it says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It is this idea of God as a mighty eagle, and we as his eaglets, I guess. <laughs> Boaz says, Ruth, you sought refuge in God like a baby bird being protected by the large, powerful wings of its parent. It is that relationship, Ruth. It is the fact that you sought refuge in God. That is what led you to make this decision. That, that's what motivated Ruth. That's what led her to make this decision that she has made regarding her old life, regarding Moab, and in, regarding Naomi. Boaz is praying that God would bless Ruth because she has pursued God. She has pursued the great refuge and protector. Ruth has put her hope and her future and her trust in God. And Boaz says, God, don't ignore that. It's because she sought the refuge and protection of God's wings that she was able to leave her old life and leave to a foreign land with Naomi to begin with. Well, that's a beautiful response that doesn't really answer the question, Boaz. Why have you shown favor to Ruth? Why have you shown grace to Ruth? Boaz showed grace to Ruth because of who she is. 
specifically because of her humility. Because she put Naomi's well-being and future ahead of her own. Because she asked and didn't demand to pick among the harvest. Because she realized that all the things that Boaz was doing for her was well beyond what she deserved. And that is what grace is. It is getting what you don't deserve. Boaz showed Ruth grace. He gave above and beyond. He didn't have to, but he did it. Grace is a marker. It is a pillar. It is a vital part of who God is and what God does for us. And he shows us grace in a bunch of different ways. God shows us common grace. Common grace is the things that everyone gets to experience. The sun shines and the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. God has given us rain. He's given us sunshine. He's given us color. He's given us sound. He's given us beauty. He's given us food that tastes good. These are all common graces from God that all people get to experience. We didn't do anything to deserve that, but that's how God created life. And he shows us saving grace. This is the grace that saves us from the wrath and judgment of God. The grace that saves us from the future that we deserve as enemies of God. And we are by nature enemies and rebels against God. We have sin in us at birth and from that we deserve to lose the battle that we are fighting against him. We deserve death. Sin equals death. Sin is rebellion against God. But God's saving grace sent Jesus to earth. Sent perfection, God in the flesh, come to earth to die for us, and in doing so, take on the wrath and judgment that we deserve. And in return, God gave us right standing with Himself. We are given forgiveness of sins, salvation. Those who repent of their sin, those who put their faith in Jesus, receive this saving grace. God shows us sanctifying grace. There's common grace. Everyone experiences it. Saving grace, which is God saving us from our sin. And sanctifying grace, which is after salvation, from that point forward, God is doing a work in you as a Christian to make you more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. You see, grace is what God does. It's who he is. And that grace is poured out on people like Ruth. Proverbs 3.34, But to the humble he gives favor. But to the humble he gives grace. Boaz showed grace to Ruth, and it didn't stop with what we read in verses 8 and 9, but it continues into the afternoon and evening. He invites her to eat with him and his servants. And she got to eat until she was full and then take some of the leftovers home with her. And so Ruth then goes back to work in the field and Boaz tells his men, I want you to go take some of the grain that we have already picked and processed, some of the stuff that's stored away, some of my private stash, the really good stuff, the stuff that we would either sell or keep for ourselves, take some of that and let her pick from that. And also, guys, as you're going forward, as you continue reaping the harvest, while you're packing and bundling stalks, let some of it fall. In other words, be a little messy. Don't be so good at your job. Let there be some on the ground for her to take. Boaz is this beautiful 
example of what grace from God looks like. Because God's grace doesn't just give us what we need. He goes above and beyond. He gets excessive with his grace for us. Jesus' sacrifice for us, for the forgiveness of sins, it wipes the slate clean. It removes our debt. That is grace. That is more than we ever could deserve. But God goes above and beyond that. Not only is the debt wiped out, not only are we free from that, but we receive Christ's righteousness. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are entitled to anything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. The grace of God is immense. It is abundant. It is in excess. Boaz shows this kind of grace to Ruth because at the end of the day, Ruth has about 30 pounds of grain. This is going to feed Naomi and herself for weeks. In one day, between her hard work and Boaz's generosity, she has gathered quite the impressive haul. As she goes back and tells Naomi of what happened, we're going to see in verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So after showing and telling Naomi all that she had gotten, Naomi asked, "Where, where did you glean? And Ruth tells her it was the field of Boaz. And upon hearing that name Boaz, Naomi finally starts to see that maybe, maybe she's not empty-handed. Maybe God isn't out to get her. Look at verse 20 again. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. May he be blessed by the Lord. May Boaz be blessed for his kindness and care he showed to Ruth. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord, the same Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. You see, Naomi rightly understands and gives praise to God for putting this whole situation into into work. She says, basically, the Lord has not withheld his kindness. The Lord has not withheld his hesed, his loyal, loving kindness, his mercy, both from the living and the dead. Now, this is a far cry from last week, isn't it? When Naomi, <clears throat> excuse me, when Naomi said things like, the Lord's hand is against me. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full and I came back empty. Naomi is finally noticing the sunshine that has been breaking through the clouds in her life, that the Lord has shown mercy on her and Ruth and possibly even in a way for the, her husband. Because this man, Boaz, is a close relative, she says, and he is one of our redeemers. 
Now, we learned in verse 1 that Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, but now Naomi calls him a close relative, and more than that, a redeemer. This is important. This goes back to chapter 1, where Naomi referenced a law to her two daughter-in-laws that stated, if a man married a woman and that man died, then his brother, if he was single, would marry the woman to provide and protect her and keep the lineage and the land and the name going, keep everything kind of in the family and keep everything together. And Naomi had no other sons to do this for her two daughter-in-laws. She said, Boaz is one of our redeemers. And let me be clear, Boaz is not held to this law. Excuse me. Boaz is a family member, so the law doesn't specifically apply to him, but because he's a family member, he has the right to redeem the land inheritance and the name in Mary Ruth. Everything that was Elimelech's would be his if he chose to act on it. Boaz has the ability to take these two out of their situation as poor widows, dependent on the kindness of strangers. He has that opportunity if he wants to take it. And actually, we've seen him start to act in this way already, right? In the way he treated Ruth. And he told Ruth, keep coming back. Basically, he gave her steady work throughout the harvest so that she would be protected and wouldn't be assaulted. Through God's providence, Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. And through God's providence, Boaz came out to the field and saw her at that right moment. Friends, there are no mistakes. There is no wasted time or insignificant moments or decisions. God sees and uses all things to work together for his glory and our good. Naomi began this book feeling hopeless and lost and depressed and thought that God was out together. And here, finally, she is starting to see that God has not abandoned her. God is not out to get her. God is actually redeeming what has happened to her, redeeming what has been marred by sin and disobedience. He is using unlikely people like Ruth, like Boaz, to bring redemption back to Naomi. God is at work always. He is always at work redeeming what has been broken and damaged by sin. He is at work to redeem those things back to himself, to the way things were supposed to be. Ruth, this foreign widow, finds favor, finds grace in the eyes of Boaz. Abundant grace. Immense grace. In excess grace, her love and faith in God, her own personal humility shown through in her life and interactions with Boaz. She found refuge in God as well as in the field of Boaz. If you will humble yourself, if you will allow yourself to admit that you can't do it all on your own, that you are dependent on someone else, that you need someone else's help to save you, there is grace to be found in Christ. While Boaz is the one who shows grace to Ruth, he is not the hero of this story. This is not a story about how this man swoops in. This is not a rom-com where the man swoops in and rescues the poor widow girl and saves her day just by being a man and marrying her. No, That's not this story. Boaz is a humble man of God. Amen and amen. And he is used by God. 
and he's used by God for Ruth's good. Boaz is not the hero of this story. God is the hero of this story. Boaz is a faint, flawed, distant shadow of a greater, perfect redeemer in Jesus Christ. The one who shows grace to the humble. The one who gives excessive, abundant, overflowing grace and blessings. The one who put on display what compassion and grace and that merciful, loyal, loving kindness of Hesed looks like by dying on the cross in our place for our sin so that we might experience forgiveness and freedom and hope and new life if you will just believe and trust that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. If you will confess your need for Christ and seek refuge under his wings, there is amazing, awe-inspiring grace to be had in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.